Welcome to Digest and Invest, the podcast from eToro that brings you the top financial stories and discusses their effect on the markets. The content that will be discussed is intended for information and educational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice or investment recommendation. Make sure you understand the risks involved in trading before committing any capital and never risk more than you are prepared to lose. Past performance is not an indication of future results. And now on to the podcast. Welcome everyone to a very special edition of the Digest and Invest podcast. As usual, I'm joined by Josh Gilbert, but we have our very special guest with us today. Josh and I are very excited about this and very grateful to be joined by the eToro founder and CEO, Yoni Asia. Yoni, how are you? Good, good. Good stuff. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, it's uh, Josh, I mean, you'll, you'll say this as well, but it's, it's great to, to have Yoni on, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Um, we we wanted to start a series with a uh, with a number of guests, and uh, we thought it'd be best to 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 start internally and uh, and give the listeners a, a little bit of an insight into to eToro from the top. So, no better place to start. Um, Yoni, first first question we wanted to to go through. So we've seen an incredible rise in in retail trading and investing over the last eighteen months and beyond that, of course. Um, I saw recently that retail trading volumes at peak times account for almost as much as mutual funds and hedge funds combined. Itoro has obviously played a big role in all of that. How does it, it make you feel? You must be pretty proud, right? I'm, I'm very proud of what we've built in Itoro and very excited to see our vision sort of uh, becoming a reality, a global reality, not only through Itoro, but generally the rise of retail investors. Uh, we started eToro 14 years ago with the vision of opening the global markets for everyone to trade and invest in a simple and transparent uh, uh, way. And for years, sort of, you know, bankers and people sort of questions the need for a new type of experience for participating in the markets uh, in the importance of retail investors. And I think the past 12 or 18 months, has really showed every participant in capital markets the potential of retail investors. Uh, and, and I truly believe that this is just the beginning of a much wider global adoption of retail participation in the markets. Yeah, and that's, and that's interesting, Yoni, what you say there in terms of that sort of, you know, the, the retail participation continuing to pick up. And obviously what we've seen from the markets over the last two years, I don't think, you know, anyone could have predicted it, you know, not even uh, Mr. Buffett himself. But, you know, obviously when you started eToro as well, could you have sort of ever really envisaged, you know, where we have got to um, in terms of the size and, and eToro itself? You know, we, we're more than 20 million users now. Um, of course, that would have been something that you would have loved to have thought about. But is that something that you thought you could ever see us reaching? The real answer is definitely yes. Uh, and, and that's something that I'm also telling entrepreneurs that you can't achieve sort of getting to the to the heights you want to achieve if you won't dream them. So we're at the end of March, uh, had $8.4 billion of customer assets. Uh, I, I dream of a day where uh, eToro will have a trillion dollars of customer assets. Uh, so I always try to look into the 10-year and 20-year horizon when I think about eToro and the things we're building. And sometimes they happen very fast and sometimes it takes time. 
but, but I always find it important to help Etorians understand how far we want to take this play into the future. Yeah, and, and, and that being said as well, obviously, we have seen so many more people get involved in the markets over the last sort of you know, two years than probably what we have you know, really ever seen. And that can be put down to obviously market volatility and obviously the pandemic. But obviously, with this you know, increased retail participation, do you think you know, from your eyes, is there any particular anything in particular you would put it down to? Or would you say that's a combination of things that we've seen the real rise of the, the retail investor? I think it's a combination of several circumstances. Some of them are very clear and everybody's talking about, but I think it's really also about the combination of a narrative that started in the crypto world and then sort of stormed into uh, uh, capital markets or or stocks or meme stocks. And, And the initial narrative of Bitcoin is about inflation. And that has been accelerated by uh, COVID-19 because interest rates are now zero. People realize they're zero. In Europe, they're even negative. Uh, Banks are trying to understand whether they should charge you for putting your money there. Uh, So first of all, you have this big macro discussion about inflation, probably the biggest discussion in human history about inflation. At the same time, governments are printing unprecedented amounts of money. So you're asking yourself, okay, I'm not getting anything on my money. And it seems that someone has their hands on the printer, just printing trillions of dollars at the same time. That feels to me like it's devaluing my money. So that's really the, the, the macro thing that has been expanded by the crypto discussion, because that's really the core concept behind Bitcoin is the uh, the deflationary asset because there's only 21 million bitcoins but it created a discussion over the internet about the value of money and, and because the internet is global right we have here i'm from israel well you know probably most listeners don't even know uh, that the local currency is shekels uh we have australian dollars here in pounds and very easily can bring in etorians with euros and us dollars but that dis- that macro discussion about Bitcoin became a global discussion that escalated this discussion over the internet. Then uh, we have a a very simple thing, which is technology. So platforms like eToro significantly lowered the barriers to entry to trade both stocks and cryptocurrencies. And a lot of people didn't realize how important that is because Josh, you're 25. Uh, and uh, 10 years ago, if you wanted uh, from, uh, you know, from Australia, from Europe, from the UK to buy a share of Amazon, you had to actually either open a bank account, uh, which would take days, you had to convert uh, Aussie dollars or pounds into dollars, uh, probably over the phone or in a branch, uh, you had to then buy a whole share of Amazon which is a sizable $3,500, which is a big trade because you don't support, most banks still don't support fractional shares. Uh, And then in the end, it would also cost you something like 20 to $30, the back and forth. So basically this whole generation of, of people, 18 to 35, simply couldn't access capital markets before commission-free stock trading, fractional shares, 
an easy to use uh, mobile app and the ability to open an account and fund an account seamlessly. Now, and that's just about user experience. But if you ask somebody who's 50 year old, uh, uh, w w without being ageist, I'm also getting older, I'm 40. Um, is there a problem? Is it hard to access the markets? You would say no. And, and those are the people who used to manage these companies. So they didn't see the problem of lowering the barriers to entry. But by lowering the barriers to entry, a whole new generation entered uh, capital markets, both in crypto and the stock markets. And that created a much, much wider discussion because it's a much wider generation. Why? It's just a very big audience and is the majority of social media and social discussion. And then you add to that a very interesting uh, uh, sort of play currently in the market, which is all times high. Uh, NASDAQ is 15,000. Uh, uh, we're seeing the Dow at all time high. We're seeing every single stock market in the world supported by monetary policy uh, uh, at all times highs. And this started, this inflection point started, we saw we had front seats to this inflection point. It started in March 2020 when the markets collapsed, financial institutions were scared. A lot of people with wealth were scared that the that everything is going to uh, doom and gloom. And retail investors and young investors just came in and saved the day. And because they came in and saved the day, they actually made the markets that they supported what I would call discount stocks. So institutions were afraid that a lot of companies like uh, cruise companies would go bankrupt like uh, later on, obviously, uh, theater companies like AMC would go bankrupt. So they pulled their investments from uh, these companies and retail investors came in. And then you add to that <clears throat> another layer of acceleration, which is probably January this year, uh, which is uh, uh, what we call meme stocks today. Uh, <laughs> although people around meme stocks don't like me saying it's called meme stocks. So I, I, we need to find a good name for it. But again, a very romantic story if we think about AMC, where people, retail investors, are basically saying, let's short squeeze the hedge funds. Uh, we want this company to not go bankrupt. If hedge funds are shorting it, it will go bankrupt. If we support the stock of the price, which they did, the company will be able to raise funds at a high valuation, which it did. Uh, and, and restructure the company to a post-COVID world, which is, again, the purpose of capital markets. So you add a lot of these sort of plays together and you get to the most interesting capital markets in human history. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. It really is. I mean, all, all of my... Um... All of my football team recently, we, we, we play every Sunday and we come to, to the ground and people would be like, oh, I'm in, in this stock, I'm in this crypto. And a year ago, they would never have even been able to say what those are. It's just fascinating how, how what has happened over the last 18 months. Um, one of the, the features of, of the Toro, which has been able to lower that, that barrier for entry for, for investors, which is, is fantastic. Did you find it difficult to in invest when you, you were younger? Is that why you feel say, you know, passionate about uh, opening up capital markets to everyone? Is that is that something you, you feel real passionate about? I'm really passionate about capital markets, period. Yeah, uh, I, I'm very lucky. I had a great mentor, my father, who 
who's also very passionate about capital markets. But my father was a CEO and a founder of a public company in NASDAQ. And sort of since I was, I think, 12, 13, sort of used to walk me through the pink papers in Israel here with the stock prices. And every day I would go and grab the newspaper for him, would open first, and then would tell him what his stock prices is, is according to the newspaper. And remember, this was a bit prior to the internet. I'm that old. <laughs> um, and, and, and I remember opening my bank account, uh, uh, like a sub account, because it's his name, because I was underage, I was 13. Uh, I'm going with him to the bank, sort of understanding how to trade it. I just fell in love in the markets very early on. And then I had the great opportunity to trade the dot-com era, uh, which was, uh, uh, I think, less interesting than where we are today. But, really? still, but, but still very interesting period in time where you just had, you know, these magnificent visions of companies talking about the internet and the internet really didn't exist. Uh, uh, this was like, think about 96, 97, the internet was very much for geeks. I'm a programmer as well, so I'm a sort of a financial geek. So I used to go into BBSs and download scripts of, of sort of shows, etc. But no, but the internet for most of my days in high school, when I talked to people about the internet, there was no internet back then. Like people didn't know what mail and internet is. Uh, but it was starting to form and you could understand what's happening and what's going to happen and it was exciting but a lot of the companies who went public then had no revenues had no essence to them it was more like the ico market of 2017 so public markets in 1999 was more like ico markets in 2017 great visions great white papers but not a lot not a lot of significant business yet um, but, but the passion to simplify financial investing came from uh, my partnership uh, uh, with Ronen. Uh, so my brother, uh, Ronen, and my partner in Itoro comes from an industrial design background. And he always used to make fun of me that I have an accountant fetish. Uh, he said, like, yeah, listen, I, I, I listened to you and our father, David, talk about the markets around the dinner table. And it sounds interesting. And then I come into your room and I see multiple screens and the pink newspapers and you have two Excels uh, up there with, with charts and like gazillion numbers. It's like just the user experience here is horrifying. And this was a nine, uh, this was 2006 was the emergence of a lot of consumer uh, plays over the internet. And we wanted to build a platform that caters to millions of people uh, in the internet that enables them access to capital markets. So th that's really the origin story of eToro is we wanted to hack the user experience. So as many people as go into e-commerce or gaming over the internet would participate in capital markets. Yeah, and, and that's interesting, obviously, you know, especially where you guys came from you know, because you, you had that access to the financial information, you know, and, and, you know, with you, with your brother and, and coming up with the idea, obviously Sam mentioned a moment ago about how, you know, he's had his football team coming up to him, you know, I'm very similar, you know, on a Saturday, you know, a crypto might've moved and, you know, I'm getting a budge on the shoulder from my football team sort of saying the same. So I think one thing about that is that a lot of what me and Ham, Sam probably hear is that, you know, 
they wish they would have got involved with the markets sort of much earlier, or they wish they got into trading or investing, which, you know, hindsight is, is obviously wonderful. But what would be your guidance to someone coming out of, say, say school or university or, you know, that is only just looking at the markets for the first time that is maybe a beginner? Um, what would be your guidance to somebody who is looking at the financial markets for the first time? Better later than never. Let's start. <laughs> um, but I, I think the most important element uh, in uh, investing is understanding risk uh, and risk management. Uh, that's the that's really the core of uh, learning what to do and avoiding mistakes. And, and I keep on seeing people doing the same mistakes again and again, uh, uh, which also I did when I was young. Uh, but uh, the, the most important thing is to remember uh, that you need to diversify your portfolio across uh, a lot of assets that are uncorrelated. Uh, they could all be high risk, by the way. You could, you could decide that you want to have, especially when you're young, it makes sense for you to try and target double-digit returns. Uh, so some investors are, are very risk averse. Uh, they're just looking to for wealth preservation or just for their money to not do anything. Uh, I, I do have a high risk appetite personally, and I do believe that over time you can generate double digit returns in the market. Um, and, and you can see a lot of popular investors on eToro generating double digit returns on average for a long period of time. In order to generate double-digit returns, whether you're targeting 15% or 20% or 25%, you have to invest in assets that have the probability of going up or of grow, companies that can grow in those rates of return that you're looking for. You want to invest in companies that can grow at the same levels. And that would usually also suggest higher multiples. And that means that uh, they could also go down. The stock prices could also easily go down 25, 35%. So first you need to understand what's your risk appetite, how much are you willing uh, to risk? And you have to remember that there's a linear correlation between uh, risk and reward. You, if you wanna make 25% here, you have to be willing to lose at least 25% here. That, that's the simple math of it. The second part is diversification. So going all in on one thing that does 10 times. So that's 25%, which I think is healthy. 15 to 25% is a, is a healthy range of expectations for a portfolio. 500% returns is not a healthy uh, uh, a range of expectations. Uh, and, and what happens then is people go all in on one single stock. And that is on a one single asset. Yeah, it doesn't matter whether it's uh, uh, GameStop or Dogecoin, uh, they, they go all in on one thing that does have a high volatility, that does have a high probability maybe of going up, but it also means it has a high probability of going down. So I think the most important thing is learn to diversify your investments. Uh, and again, this is more than portfolio theory, uh, you know, from the 50s, uh, 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 so there's a lot of content around it, but the logic is very simple. If you take your portfolio and you invest 5% of it in each asset and all of the, and these assets are not directly correlated, you can actually invest in 20 assets that each of them have a profile of 25% returns, but you lower the risk of your portfolio 
uh, uh, to, 10 per, to, to a 10% uh, downturn in your portfolio. If you put everything, all your eggs in one basket and that basket goes wrong, then, you're, you, then, then you will be screwed uh, when things go wrong. Yeah, absolutely. It can be great advice. And any newer traders listening in, I would recommend reminding that and then, you know, taking notes. And it's it's really solid advice. And and one that I reckon Josh and I wish we had at the beginning of our trading and investing careers, because we we both we both once invested in, in a company called Sirius Minerals. And we definitely well, I at the time definitely wasn't diversified. And I was very much heavy in on this one and it, it didn't quite go to plan it was going to be the retirement trade if it pulled off and you know i'd have been on the beach somewhere uh it didn't quite go to plan but what uh, i'm quite interested to know maybe at the beginning of of your investing and trading career was there one particular trade that you you took on and you you know it was <laughs> it didn't quite go to plan there there definitely was so i had two uh First of all, I, I was back then trading a lot tech stocks. Yeah. Um, uh, this was 98, 99. Um, and uh, I remember trading the spread between Intel and AMD. Uh, so I, I used to look at the, the financial results of Intel and AMD, and it always looked to me like the spread in valuation between Intel and AMD doesn't make sense. Uh, I wasn't as sophisticated to do short long, just sort of buy and sell the bo both stocks, mostly AMD, based on sort of the correlation between the prices uh, of AMD and Intel. Uh, I, I should have just held longer for AMD. I just should have bought $10,000 of AMD back then. I, I made, um, and you know, as a, as a kid, I made probably during the dot-com bubble about 100 to $150,000, uh, which is a lot of money for a high school kid. Uh, and then uh, I got drafted to the army um, in March 2000, and uh, I, I, the market started dropping, and they were dropping like a stone. Uh, and uh, uh, I lost probably 90% of my profits um, uh, because what happens, and that's another thing, again, relating to risk management, as I gained more experience in the markets, in retrospect, I made stupider decisions, not smarter decisions. Um, I went into higher and riskier assets. I invested uh, in, I remember three different assets back then. Um, one was Gilad Satellites. I remember that was like 10 or 15 years in my portfolio after that with a 99% loss. Um, there was one OTCBB. So back then, if you think about crypto of today, in 99, there was a, a pink sheet market in the US uh, where you would buy penny stocks for like, you know, 25 cents. They would suddenly go to $5 like in four days. Uh, uh, people would talk about it in, in a form which I don't think exists anymore called Raging Bull. Um, and and there was like the Reddit of the time. Right. Uh, and, and you would see a lot of these. And, and I just put silly amounts of money into these pink sheets without really understanding, well, a bit understanding what these companies do. That, like, that was a total loss. Uh, so the only thing that really held up later on are, are some of the investments that I just held long uh, uh, in, in solid companies 
I think I had some Apple stock there for a while that I didn't sell. Uh, so uh, some of the tech stocks that I held in my portfolio, and again, I was drafted. I was in a payphone talking to my father like every day uh, at the end of the day uh, with an M16 on my back. And I'm like, what's the price of this? What's the price of that? What's the price of this? And he's like, I'm not sure uh, I, it's a good idea for me to tell you what's the prices of stocks when you have a, 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 mach, uh, a machine gun on your back. Uh, I think there was a famous movie uh, that was made about talking about the pink sheets uh, era. Um, it sounds like we could maybe do a movie talking about Yoni's era of investing in, yeah, the, yeah. in the war as well. Um, obviously, you know, you have a love for the markets. You've obviously mentioned that, Yoni, um, as we went on. And obviously, you know, being a CEO of an investment company, you, of course, have a lot of interest still in the markets day to day. Um you know, when you look at the markets, you know, where, where do you see value right now? Obviously, we're in a completely sort of unknown age, effectively. You know, what would be um, something you're looking at at the moment? You know, not specifically, obviously, you know, a particular stock, but is there you know, particular areas that, that you like at the moment out there? I think over time, you know, I, I stayed uh, on, on a similar course of my passion to uh, tech stocks. It's what I understand. I would generally say I understand it better and better now because we are now consuming Editoro. Uh, we have become what's called in, in software an enterprise. Uh, so we are the company that can pay hundreds of thousands for a SaaS enterprise uh, solution provider, whether it's you know, Salesforce or Microsoft. Uh, uh, and I, I think that part of the industry is really interesting. I think tech, again, tech is, you know, like uh, Anderson said, uh, software is going to eat the world. We are seeing software eating the world. So I would generally say for millennials, sort of the first pick, which is very easy, is tech stocks. Um, uh, whether it's, you know, wh whether it's the easier things because again a lot of people are just underinvested my true belief is generally our the entire generation uh, y is still significantly underinvested in the markets uh, and the first things are tech stocks uh, uh, so because tech stocks are easy to understand we're all using google we're all using facebook uh, some of us uh, uh, are using microsoft we all use to use microsoft as well uh, Microsoft today is really uh, also more about the cloud and enterprise software. Uh, uh, if you work in a company, you probably use Salesforce, which is a great company. So I would suggest for people, again, in general, invest in companies, you use their products. That, 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 that's the first thing I, I would tell people. Uh, I, I don't know what serious minerals are doing, but my assumption is you guys are not using their products. Uh, so when you use a company's products uh, and pay for their products or understand the model, that means you already understand a lot about the company. If you buy an iPhone and you know you're going to buy an iPhone every year, you should be also a shareholder of Apple. When you become, when you start paying for movies on Apple TV, uh, when you start the paying a subscription for, it or, uh, for, for Apple Music, uh, when you start purchasing things through Apple Pay, you basically understand their business model. And now the question is, how many people get hooked like this? And if you go to your football 
uh, uh, match and you hear your friends saying, ah, I don't like this new Apple phone, it's crap, everybody's switching to Samsung. And with a great opportunity now to ask either people on eToro or just, you know, people in either eToro the company, right? So you can ring, you can, Sam, you can ring Josh asking, is it the same there? You can ring our German office and our US office. Is it the same there? Okay, something bad is happening. Like people are falling out of love in Apple and are using less and less the products. That's a very good signal to get out. But generally, you the products that you use, that's where you should invest your money. That's that, that's what I believe. Um, and, and that starts with the easier, easiest one, which are tech stocks. I have to say I uh, uh, was uh, underappreciating value investing uh, in non-growth stocks before my dinner with Warren Buffett. Uh, uh, he did have a significant influence in, in the way I think about value investing and the fact that you can actually generate uh, you know, a double-digit return portfolio basically with stocks that are not growth stocks, right? So my, my entire investing career, I thought the best way to generate higher returns is investing growth companies, which are tech companies. And actually value investing has generated significant returns by investing not in growth stocks, but in value stocks. And, and the way... I describe value stocks, but again, that there's a lot to be to there's a lot written, so there's a lot of different opinions on it, and there's a value club on eToro as well. But the way I see it is that this is the products that we consume that I also think that my kids are going to consume and my grandkids are going to consume. And the best stocks uh, when I think about that are Coca-Cola, McDonald's, and Disney. I have a very strong feeling that my grandkids are still going to eat McDonald's, drink Coca-Cola, and consume Disney Plus. And because I have five kids and probably going to have 20 grandkids, their business is going to grow, uh, Disney, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, uh, because just we're growing. We're, we're just, uh, uh, the population is growing, so their business is going to grow because of that. And if you think about the narrative of Bitcoin, which is the third thing I'll talk about, uh, then because of purchasing power, actually, uh, uh, and inflation, uh, those are great protections against it. Because it doesn't matter what happens to the dollar, to the euro, to the pound, to the Australian dollar, to the shekel, uh, even if it devalues by 50%, if somebody still wants to buy Coke uh, or, uh, or, or uh, uh, Big Mac, they're going to buy a Coke and a Big Mac, and it's just going to cost them double the amount of currency that they had before. So those are sort of the two plays. And again, it's so easy to find for every person these talks uh, 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 that they use their products uh, and that they appreciate their products, right? So I, I could say the same. I'm not a big fan because I'm not a sports guy, but Adidas and, and, and Nike are good examples of good companies. Uh, uh, and if you're into fashion, there's LVMH. Uh, with disclaimer, is also an investor in eToro, uh, but you know that luxury goods is a, a great play as well. That's growing very much today in the world. Um, so again, there are a lot of areas. A great way to look at uh, areas that are interesting for millennials in general, and that we think are interesting. And a great way to browse it on eToro is looking at the uh, portfolios on eToro. 
so you can, from the portfolios in Utoro, you can actually look at a lot of the different themes that our customers are, are thinking that are interesting and we think are interesting, whether it's renewable energy or food tech or gene editing, et cetera. Um, and, and then it comes down to the last thing, which I think is, uh, 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 is a significant part of a young investor in, in his portfolio, which is crypto, uh, which I'll just say, in my view, Bitcoin is king of crypto and will stay king of crypto. Uh, I think right now Ethereum is queen uh, and, uh, uh, and, and there's uh, uh, still an open question uh, on, on where everything else plays there. Um, but I think, again, the, the main narrative of crypto is a very, very simple one. There are 55 millionaires in the world today that have more than a million dollars uh, uh, in their in net worth. There can only be, because there all, there's only uh, 21 million Bitcoins that will ever exist, there can only be 500,000 people who own 42 Bitcoins. Uh, if you haven't read uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, that's also the meaning of life. Highly recommended book for geeks. Um, so if there are, can only be 500,000 people in the world who own 42 Bitcoins, and right now let's say 42 Bitcoins is roughly a Bitcoin measurement of a Bitcoin millionaire, right? It's a bit more than the million dollars. And there are 50 millionaires in the world. I, I am certain to a very high degree that more than uh, 1% of millionaires will want to have an equivalent amount of local currency or assets in their accounts as crypto. I, I know thousands of them already. So, so the numbers for me that don't, don't make sense because if I know at least you know, a thousand people who uh, aspire or are very close to have 42 Bitcoins, uh, uh, then there has to be more than 500,000 of those people in the world. And as they grow MS wealth and start accumulating stats, the, 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 the supply and demand curve just doesn't, doesn't make sense. And that's in addition, of course, to, to the basics of why I fell in love in crypto. I think that, and, and Bitcoin, the technology is mind blowing. Uh, it's truly decentralized. Uh, people can send and receive financial assets and hold and custody financial assets for the first time in human history on their own without an intermediary. Uh, and that means uh, that this is just a new type of, of financial services era. So I think that, that play is, is an important part of play. I think blockchain and crypto today is what the internet was in 98, 99. Yeah, I know. I, I agree with that. Fascinating insight and a very good point on investing in the brands you use and, and you love. And, and while, you know, not everyone would be able to to use uh, a rocket to go into space, of course, so therefore maybe not to invest in it. But obviously we recently, well, well a few weeks ago, Jeff Bezos went into space and, and the whole space race uh, is such an interesting uh, area right now. If, if you had the opportunity to go with, with you, would it interest you? I'm, I, 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 I didn't get it until very recently. Okay. So I, I was like, uh, um, I'm, a, I'm a late bloomer of, of space exploration. I, 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 I'm still not invested personally in the space. Um, 
I'm a, I'm, I'm also a late uh, bloomer of uh, or uh, of of really understanding sort of the uh, Elon Musk narrative around Mars. I do understand it better now because somebody explained it, men explained it to me uh, in simple words. Uh, he said, "Think about this: we're you know 400 years ago. Uh, you're, you're comfortable sitting in your castle somewhere in you know in Europe." And people are talking about uh, ocean exploration and uh, taking ships. Some of those ships don't come back. Um, but without that, they wouldn't find, they wouldn't connect, you know, they wouldn't find America. Uh, they wouldn't connect uh, uh, Europe into Asia. So somebody needs to start these explorations. And, and what is the probability? that they won't strike eventually something really interesting. Uh, and, and that actually makes sense. Um, so, you know, yes, there, there's a good chance they'll find something out there somewhere. If they'll start exploring, it's going to probably take a while. I didn't look at the stats of the first uh, ship sailed to sea and when they actually uh, uh, struck something interesting. But, but I understand why. Uh, um, you know, people who have achieved everything that they wanted in life start going to explore space uh, because it is potentially interesting, right? So whether let's uh, you know whether it's you know whether it's because you want to save the human race because of climate change and the destruction of Earth, or whether it's because you think you can find their you know new type of gold uh, which will be worth a hundred times more than gold. Or whether it's because you want to find uh, do the first alien uh, encounter, right? So I understand now because of that logic of why would people go into ships and sail to the Americas with a, a high probability of not coming back. Um, but but I personally don't think it's a valid business model yet. Um, uh, I might be mistaken, of course, uh, and that's why I'm I'm not invested yet there no good and, and absolutely and that's another great lesson for, for the listeners if you don't you know understand the, the reasons behind you know a company doing what they do or you don't believe in it then yeah absolutely don't invest and, and josh we could have done with that advice couldn't we with serious minerals all those, those yeah, exactly i think that's a warren buffett isn't it the circle of competence i should have probably used that at some point so yeah um, it's mind-blowing, by the way, if you think about it, like this is what this is the Warren Buffett quote, like don't invest in companies you don't understand their business, right? So and today, in today's world, you can even expand that to don't invest in companies you don't use their products or know somebody who uses their products, right? Uh, because because it makes something that potentially is unreal real. You understand you understand much better the company. And today there are many more consumer companies. But what's really amazing that a lot of these quotes of Buffett uh, or, or, you know, Buffett himself says, read Benjamin Graham's Intelligent Investor. So it's a book from the 50s. But it's amazing how little, uh, you know, how few of the investors coming into the world right now actually sort of learn and understand those basics and repeat the same mistakes that I did in 96 or 97, or maybe young Buffett did in his in, in the 50s. So I, I really think it's very important for uh, new investors to sort of try and really learn the, these basics 
before risking too much money. No, definitely, definitely. There's also a nice quote as well, isn't there, from from Peter Lynch, who was a, a very uh, very successful hedge fund manager. That he got some of his uh, some of his best tips from his from his wife, just from going to the supermarket. So I think sometimes investors can sometimes overlook you know some of those most blatant stocks like you mentioned Yoni, in terms of you know disney coca-cola mcdonald's i think sometimes right now investors are maybe looking past that rather than just sort of investing in sort of what's in front of them but yeah, for sure for sure uh, moving moving back to crypto um do you think there's going to be a catalyst or a number of catalysts that will see institutions stand up and, and recognize the asset class i know we're starting to see that for sure but do you feel like there's going to be maybe like a breakthrough moment where it goes a lot more widespread and that really is the 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 cue for the next big drive drive higher i i don't think we can expect more than seeing like kathy wood jack dorsey and elon musk uh, um you know in a youtube uh talking about bitcoin uh, and surprisingly, Dogecoin. I, I, th- I, I, I think that is that means the market is there. I think a lot of family offices, which is a significant part of wealth in the world, have already invested uh, uh, something into crypto. Probably the, uh, still a small sh- a part. I think most financial institutions are thinking about it um, uh, in the U.S. Some of the big ones have gone into it, uh, whether it's a Fidelity or a BlackRock, but still, I would say, in small amounts, but also investing in companies. So sometimes, you know, when there is a gold rush, there is a question of whether you buy the gold uh, or, or are you investing in the mining companies, right? Uh, so, you know, st- stocks uh, that have uh, an exposure to crypto, potentially sometimes for financial institutions, are an e- simply an easier play uh, than investing in, in crypto. Uh, but I think gradually we're seeing adoption. I don't think we're necessarily going to see an inflection point uh, of institutional demand because institutional demand are a bit less of a herd mentality than, uh, than consumers. And when I say institutions, I mean pension funds and mutual funds and, and not, and, and not a, a 27 year old crypto millionaire that's not institutional money um so so, so i don't think an inflection point is coming from there i think a protection of the bottom is coming from there so uh, i think gradually institutions are starting to take that hedge against inflation rate of Bitcoin more seriously. And therefore, if stock markets tumble, uh, they won't actually sell their crypto so fast, uh, although it's a risky asset. And when crypto tumbles, they don't go and sell it. So when it goes from 64,000 to uh, 30,000, I think there are sort of a lot of hands which are weak. But I think institutional hands are not weak. They, they, they would keep accumulating over time. They understand the concept of, of uh, cost dollar averaging, which means if you have your thesis and you want to have an investment in a specific asset and you decided it's Bitcoin, then over time, if the price goes down, but all of the parameters uh, uh, and the analysis is still the same, then you actually want to double down and, and buy more. Not less. 
Yeah, and you know, you were obviously a you know an early finder, should we say, of of Bitcoin. Um, I think if if anybody hasn't seen it, head over to Yoni's Twitter page. He was yeah. uh, he was talking to to Brett King to buy uh, to to buy Bitcoin at two dollars fifty. If he didn't, he'll probably be kicking himself. Um, but obviously, you were you were interested, you know, very early on in Bitcoin. For for those that that don't know, what initially attracted you to Bitcoin? What was sort of the the real catalyst for you moving towards the asset? Um, and and have your views changed on Bitcoin over the years? Um, and and do you think that will change moving forward? I I would say what first really attracted to me is the technology. Uh, it is, uh, 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 I, I say that there are three sort of ecosystems that when I started playing with them, I automatically I had an aha moment and fell in love. Uh, it's the internet. Um, and later on, uh, when I studied for my computer sciences, it's really understanding how TCP IP works, how the internet works. Uh, but I think everything we're talking about now that's exciting in the world is, is built on top of the internet almost. Um, and on top of these technologies, which enable us to communicate with one another across the world without interruption. That's really not trivial. Uh, uh, because again, I, I grew up in a world without it, without internet. Um, uh, and so when I started using BBSs, I like completely fell in love in the concept that I can communicate with people that are in, in the US and in Europe and all over the world. The second is when I looked into capital markets uh, and I remember my first trade and realizing that I just traded something and it you know, runs on the tape of the stock exchange and somebody else was on the other part of that trade and even more excited when I did my first overseas trade and bought NASDAQ listed shares for my house in, in, in Israel. Uh, and sort of thought about how this money world and money markets all connect to one another. Uh, what surprised me when I started eToro uh, um, in, in 2006-7 was eventually I learned how broken the financial services industry really is. Uh, it's like it, it's crazy manual work. Uh, it's a T plus one and T plus two. Uh, when we started eToro, most trades were actually people running around not in eToro, but when we went into banks, I was like, I can't believe this works like that. People running around with notes, writing actual notes. Like it's crazy how you think the stock market, you know, cause I, I do a trade when I'm 15 year old uh, in Israel and, and I see this entire cycle on the internet closing, but then on the back end, there's still a lot of manual work, right? So, and that still happened and still happens. And then I saw 2008, the financial crisis, and that's where you saw something interesting. The markets that just stopped. I, I saw that a couple of times. March 2020, by the way, was the same. Uh, markets just stop. Like it's like if you if think about your TV, if you're a markets person, the TV just goes blank. Nothing, nada. You can't hear anything. You can listen to anything. You're shouting and, and it's nada. You're suddenly, it's like a black hole. That was 2008. You couldn't trade euro dollar. Like the markets just didn't exist there for a while. Uh, inter, you know, bonds have no liquidity. Um, and, 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 and in 2008, I realized, wow, it's, it's crazy that the markets get to a point where people can unplug the computers and simply things will stop working. And then when I discovered Bitcoin, I started writing back then in 2008 on the good dollar, 
uh, uh, before crypto, before blockchain, the need for a transparent 24-7 capital markets and currency markets. And then when I saw Bitcoin for the first time in 2010 and started using it in 2011 and paying people in the Ukraine to develop gimmicks and stuff and, and seeing the technology, which means I own the financial asset. It's 24-7. It always operates without, nobody can unplug Bitcoin. Uh, and anyone in the world can open an account directly on the Bitcoin network, uh, uh, start mining Bitcoin, which I did, and uh, uh, moving Bitcoins from one place to another. I was like, that's how finance should work. 24-7, never shuts down, doesn't rely on, on anything that's centralized, whether it's government, etc. That, that's really how financial technology should work. And that got me excited. That's what got me into crypto. Later on, I also uh, sort of got more and more in love in the concept of this uh, inflationary hedge, um, especially which accelerated with time. But it really started with, hey, this enti the entire world of finance needs to move to blockchain, uh, which is why, by the way, we started, we, we built the first decentralized exchange in eToro based on a product on Bitcoin, on colored coins, a protocol we wrote together with Vitalik in 2012, way premature. Uh, 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 but now you can see Uniswaps and stuff like that. So we, we tried writing something like that in 2012. Um, so I, I really got excited about the potential and opportunity of, of blockchain technology. But, but I think it's hard to explain to people that they should buy Bitcoin because of the technology versus because of uh, 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 the, the price inflation, uh, uh, the, the inflationary hedge and a hedge against governments is an easier explanation for people who might not be interested in the technology. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we're heading into the, the final part of the, the podcast now. So we thought it'd be a good idea, Josh and I, for, for us to fire over some, some quick fire questions. First up, what is your favorite feature on... Uh, on eToro that, that you have built and why? Um, I would generally say copy trading because it enables me to invest in uh, areas which I don't understand and uh, uh, using talented people from all over the world. Absolutely. I had um, a, a checkup for my, I'm getting laser eye surgery next month. So I went into to the opticians, I guess they're called. And um, I had to fill out a form. So I said where I worked and the guy was like to me, oh, I do the copy trading stuff. I think it's fantastic. And yeah, we were just having a, a wicked chat about it. Um, next up, and I'm really interested to hear your answer on this one. Um, if you could go, if you could have dinner with three other famous people from past or present, who would they be and why? We've already done Warren Buffett. So that's a big one ticked off the list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't need to say that, don't you? Yeah. Um... I would probably go with uh, something like uh, uh, Marx, Karl Marx, uh, Adam Smith, um, and Einstein. Wow. Yeah, nice. Mark nice. Mines at the table there. 
Uh, so following on from that, that. That's just also because I'm, I'm assuming that without that question, at some point I'm going to meet a lot of the people that I want to meet, like Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> Elon Musk, and Jack Dorsey, and Katie Wood, and those, those people are, I, I am going to meet sometime in the next 10 to 20 years. Yeah. So if you can bring people from the past, yeah, that's yeah. a better call. Yeah. That would be an interesting conversation, Yoni Asya and Elon Musk. I look forward to that one. Um, so we'd obviously spoke then about quite a few CEOs. Um, and so maybe give wanted to give the listeners a bit of insight here. What what does a day in the life of, of Itaro's CEO look like? Um, it's it's there are a lot of routines. So I always try to generate routines in Itoro of the sort of cascade globally also to our management teams all over the world. So I I manage uh, eight people. That means I have eight uh, one-on-ones a week. I have two management meetings a week uh, and I have three executive forums I participate in uh, 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 a week. So that's sort of the structure. And then uh, I do have, so it's a lot of meetings. Today I have 11, 11 meetings. I'll have probably one or two that are interviews or externals like this. Uh, I'll have uh, probably investors, uh, uh, you know, at least two, three days. So a lot of it is getting my uh, diaries just filled uh, with meetings. And then from time to time, we'll just try to generate for me time to think. Uh, uh, So I'll just take four hours in my diary and just say, hey, here, I need my time to think, to do something uh, uh, on my own, uh, and maybe invite people uh, sort of to these ad hoc uh, sessions. Yeah, amazing. Um, so, look, finally, the the future looks pretty bright for Itaro. We've obviously come a very long way, and I'm, I'm super excited to, to sort of see where things are heading. But if you could go back in time and change anything about your journey with Itaro, I'm sure you wouldn't change much. But if you could, what would it be and why? Buy more Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buy more Bitcoin at two dollars fifty. I'm gonna tweet when you launch this episode. I'm gonna tweet with it like our our trades uh, in Etoro where we bought Bitcoin for five dollars and ten dollars. Uh, uh, we we should have just and and by the way we had a lot of pressure after that from our investors to sell it because they didn't understand what it is and how it's I was going to say how did you get that one past the board <laughs> that would have been an interesting conversation initially I said it's a, you know internally we said it's a it's a technology experiment that we have to experiment with this blockchain technology so and in order to experiment we have to buy like twenty thirty thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin back in two thousand twelve um, then. When it went up to, you know, the value was a million dollars, two million dollars, not selling it, that was the challenge. Um, and figuring out how the auditors, how EY can actually understand how to put it on the books. Um, but, 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 you know, when you see something like that and you actually, within the company, buy, it's easy to say, what would you change? Just find more, you know, a hundred <laughs> times more. Hindsight. Hindsight is useful. Hindsight is twenty. Time machine. The time machine. I would have built the time machine. <laughs> oh, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Yoni, thank you very much for for joining. It's it's been an amazing uh, experience just to to take little pieces of of this from from you, and I'm sure the listeners will will find it so so useful as well. So thank you very much for for joining. Th- thank you for for running this podcast. It's really a great great initiative, and also a great example of how. Itoro is sort of decentralized on its own that 
this thing really came from, from you guys uh, sort of building it and it's, it's exciting to see it and exciting to listen. Thank you, Josh. Thank you very much for joining as usual. No, thank you. Thank you for joining as well, Yoni. It's been a pleasure. Bye. Thank you, guys. Take care. You've been listening to Digest and Invest from eToro. For more information, visit eToro.com. <laughs>